out land with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. You just go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. I think we got to go. Okay, now we're good. <laughs> All right. You can add a 225 in front of that number and reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And should you happen not to want to be on the air or think of something after we go off the air or even next week at midnight, you can send Lewis an email from that same website and get your questions answered that way. That's right. Yeah. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. There you go. Just hit the contact bar and send me an email. I'll get an answer right on back to you. And that is not only the best, but the only way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Other than, of course, calling in on a radio show on Saturday morning, which right. we wish you would do. Sure. Sound a lot better than you and I jacking back and forth there. <laughs> that is a fact. But we were talking here just before the show came on about a gentleman who came in the shop. I guess it was yesterday. Yeah, it was. Yeah. He listens to our podcast. He lives out in California and right. listens to the podcast and had been on the website a few times. Right. And he was actually coming this way anyway to visit his son, I believe, yeah. and decided to get the work done here. That's right. Instead of having it done at home. That's right. Yeah. It has a Nissan Xterra, I think right. it is. And he had read our article about the radiators going out and, and flooding the transmission so he was in for a transmission service anyway he had asked if it would be wise to go ahead and replace the radiator yes sir and i said oh absolutely and we checked it fortunately it had not leaked at all yet so we just changed the radiator out car before catastrophic yeah failure preempted that little problem that's it uh, you would have had to change the radiator anyway when it failed and you very well may have taken out a transmission also yeah because it doesn't take much coolant or water for that fact to get into a transmission and wipe it out well that's right almost any that enters the transmission is going to immediately cause a failure just mm-hmm. because the clutch material is bonded to the backings with a water soluble type glue right it's running in petroleum all the time so they can't use a petroleum type glue so they uh-huh. have to use a water soluble glue but any coolant or water that enters a transmission is going to dissolve that adhesive and when it does the clutch material start balling up grinding up and then it flows throughout the transmission causing almost immediate failure right we have some samples at the shop of transmission fluid that had coolant gotten into it we actually mm-hmm. drained it out of a trans think out of a Nissan in fact yeah. And it's been sitting on the shelf for about two weeks now, and it's still mixed. Yeah, it has, it has not has separated, separated out. Yeah, and water would probably separate out from petroleum. Mm-hmm. But you got to remember, this is not water. This is coolant. Correct. Coolant is water and antifreeze mixed together, ethylene glycol. So it becomes a different chemical cocktail. So it's not going to act just like water does, but right. the effect is going to be much the same. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Yeah, Nissan's had a real problem with that, but it could occur on any car. It could. Transmission cooler can fail, and when it does, the coolant from the engine is going to leak out. Right. Now, the, the transmission cooler is actually inside of the radiator tank. Yes. The side of the tank, your transmission cooler line's hooked there, mm-hmm. and that's how the transmission cools the fluid down. The radiator actually does it for mm-hmm. it. And like you were saying before, if you have a failure in that cooler, that cooler is surrounded by coolant. That's right. So it will get in and therefore go through the trans. Right. And when the vehicle is running, what's going to happen is that the transmission pressure, the transmission fluid pressure is higher than the cooling system pressure. Correct. So it's going to actually push transmission fluid into your radiator, which is going to make it oily and it's going to start swelling the cap seal up. It's going to start swelling the hoses up and all that. But as soon as you turn the car off, the transmission pressure goes to zero and the cooling system pressure is going to remain around 16 PSI for several hours right. until it cools down enough. 
And that's when the coolant's going to be forced into the transmission. It's going to push it into the lines. It's going to push it back to the transmission. And, of course, when you start it up, it's going to circulate through the transmission. So, therefore, it's mixing, actually mixing both ways. That's right. It's going to mix both ways because I had a guy say, well, if it always goes, well, it doesn't always go that way. It's right. actually it's a two-way street. It goes both ways depending on the pressure differential. Correct. And when it's running, you have pressure pushing it one way. When you turn it off, the pressure moves it back the other way. So one of those things that can actually wipe a trans out real, real, real fast and something to kind of look out for. Sure. We ran across that. A unit came in. And we did a little research and found there's actually a technical service bulletin out on that particular make and model years. Yeah, it's from 2005 to 2010, the Frontier, the Xterra, and the Pathfinder all uh-huh. have that problem. But it's something you have to kind of sort of watch for on every car. And it's not a bad idea just to check your transmission fluid every so often if it has a dipstick. Now, more and more cars today do not have a dipstick, right? A which big, makes it more difficult. Long, drawn-out procedure to actually check the fluid in it, much less service it and then recheck it. Yeah, it's sort of a short sight on the part of the engineers, in my opinion, that what they're doing more and more, they are eliminating our ability to check things in our own cars. Correct. Some of the newer European vehicles don't even have a dipstick on the engine. How about that? Yeah, like your Mercedes and some of your BMWs especially, they have a little gauge on the dash, a little icon type thing that shows Uh the fluid level. But if it fails or if you don't trust it, the only way to test it is to actually let all the oil out and measure it and see how much oil is in there. Right. So you don't have the ability to look at your oil, so you don't have the ability to see how dirty it is. You don't have the ability to see if it's got coolant in it or if it's contaminated. So you're kind of relying on these gauges and stuff a whole lot. Right, and we were discussing that before the show came on about sensors and the actual trusting of a sensor. They work like they're supposed to. They're great. That's right. But when they give false readings, then you're in trouble. And you've actually got to, like you were saying, on your Mercedes without the dipsticks, you actually have to drain the amount of fluid and see, measure it and see how much fluid is left in the vehicle. Whereas if it had a dipstick, you could check it from the top and you would be well, you could check a lot easier. You could check the condition as well. Right. Hey, 291-6901 is the number. We sure wish you'd give us a call and try to stump us. <laughs> For lack of a better term. All right. When we start depending on technology, that is one thing, and that's just kind of part of modern life, and really not even modern life, because when you consider the Titanic, they were depending pretty heavily on technology. They were at the time. It was a technology of the day, and they depended on it. They said, well, we really don't need lifeboats anymore because this ship is unsinkable. Right. Because we engineered it that way. Well, we see what happened with that. I was going to say, guess <laughs> that what? That didn't work out too well for us. So <laughs> no, it didn't. I'm not saying just throw all technology aside because it is great, but it's certainly nice to have a backup. Sure. You know, sort of like our computers in our offices and homes. We still keep a backup. And I feel that wise people keep a paper copy. <laughs> <laughs> that's even better than electronic well, backup. Well, that's right. For things that are very crucial to them, for instance, in a business like ours, when sometimes the power goes down, now you may have all your records on computer, uh-huh. you can have all the backups you want, but if you need to access that record and the power's down, exactly. let's say a hurricane comes through and someone needs to know something about their car uh-huh. and there is no power and you don't have a generator or whatever, a generator's not operating, if you've got a paper file, you can pull it right out, you can look at it, and you can resolve that problem Correct. real fast and easy. So. Sometimes we need some analog backups. There you go. At least in my opinion. (laughs) When you start totally relying on technology, you're making yourself pretty vulnerable. And like you were saying, anybody that knows that had a computer crash on them, Mm -hmm. everything you have on that computer may be gone. They may not be able to reproduce it or get it back. In one instance, it's gone if you do not have a backup. And even if you do have a backup, most folks, even very judicious folks, will probably back up once a day, maybe Uh the end of the day or the morning or whenever they do it. But 
once a day is considered a pretty rapid backup sequence, right? You can still lose everything you worked on that day, right? And I know you could say, well, there are drives that ghost each other and they constantly back up, and that is wonderful. And if that all works out, that's great. But again, you are relying on that technology to work. Was it working to produce the backup? Did you go back and verify it? Did something go wrong that caused that not to work? Exactly. Corrupted. Just because you push the button doesn't actually mean it works. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> oh, I know. We see it on cars every day. Yeah, you really do. And more and more and more things are that way where they just don't give you the option like they used to where you could go in and check things. Right. Something as simple as you used to be able to just pull the spark plugs out, take a look at them. And you could judge the condition of your spark plugs, and you could also judge a lot about the condition of the engine by uh-huh. looking at the spark plug. If the tip was sort of oil fouled or fuel fouled, you knew you had a running problem. Right. You knew maybe if it was a wet tip, we had something going on here. If it was bone white, we knew we were running too lean and all. And that was sort of a handy diagnostic tool. But now we may have to pull the intake manifold off just to get the spark plugs out of the engine. Correct. So... On a general inspection, we can't spend two and a half hours to get to the spark plugs just to check the condition. So it deprives us of a valuable piece of diagnostic information. It does. And it's sort of like, again, going back to the transmission dipstick. If you can't pull that dipstick, you really don't know the condition of the fluid. Is it dark? Is it breaking down? Is it contaminated with moisture? Are there other things wrong? Is it low? Until you have a problem. And, of course, there are... Reasoning is, well, if it's not leaking, leave it alone. Well, mm-hmm. that's wonderful thinking, except that sometimes they only leak when they're driving. There are certain leaks that are pressurized leaks. Right. And when you come home at night and turn the car off, there's no pressure, so it doesn't leak. So you don't see a leak. It leaks going down the road, which is the wind's blowing it away, and you may not have any idea that you've got a leak. A gentleman earlier this week, and his actually had a dipstick, but he was reading it improperly. Okay. And he came in first for a transmission service, and then when he got there, we asked him why he wanted a service. As well, what it's doing is delaying going into gear real bad. And then, like, when you turn a corner, it slams in gear and okay. goes to neutral. I said, well, you got more problems than just service. the service is going to correct. So we agreed to go ahead and diagnose the problem. What we found is it was three quarts low on fluid. Okay. And when I called him, he was quite shocked. He said, no, I check it every day. I said, well, then you need to learn how to check fluid. Uh-huh. And when he came in, I showed him some things he needed to do to check the fluid. And what he learned was he was not checking the fluid properly. The transmission was three quarts low and could have burnt the transmission. Sure. In fact, may have damaged it. Sure. Uh, he couldn't afford to get the leak fixed just then, so we filled it up, and he's going to watch it now that he knows how to check it, and he's going to bring it back as soon as he gets his money straight. Right. Well, like you were saying, it was three quarts low. When you go around a corner, the filter was actually losing fluid connection, and it was sucking up air. Right. And therefore, it was coming out of gear, so it felt like it was going into neutral. That's right. Well, you're losing hydraulic pressure, but right. you're also losing lubrication Correct. at the same time. So that can be a running low on fluid can be a very, very dangerous situation. Very expensive situation. Well, absolutely, because you're running low on lubricant. It's sort of like running low on blood in your body. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some ramifications. And the same thing can hold true with almost any part of the car. They're designed to have a certain amount of whatever it is that's in them that makes them operate. And when they get low, you start having problems. Correct. Another thing would be refrigerant in your air conditioner. When Uh that gets low then you're going to have problems because it doesn't circulate the oil for the compressor. Correct. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and other things when we get back. We're All right. We'll take a quick little break and be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me. Alphonse the know-it-all Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. 
Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. We appreciate you spending a little time with us here on Saturday morning. Yep. And if you give us a call, we'd be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. The number is 291-6901. That will get you right straight to us. That it will. And you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We really wish you would. Just as long as you get to the time zone straightened out, you can reach us right now. That's right. If you're calling from New York, you already missed us if you call calling from but hey, you work all that out. There you go. We were talking about just problems and things and how it's getting harder and harder to check things. The gentleman we were talking about earlier where his transmission was acting up and doing some things, uh-huh. he had listened to the radio show a couple of times, so he knew enough to get it to someone who could check the problem for him. Right. But what we find very often happens, and this also occurred, I guess it was two weeks ago, a lady calls and she wants to know how much is a rebuilt transmission. Okay. And, of course, I... It tried to explain to her that, well, you don't know you need a transmission. What we need to do is get the car in and find out why it is not shifting properly. Right. And she just wasn't going to listen to that. She, you know, i got to have a price. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you because I, all the thing I can do is check it and tell you what's wrong. And then if it needs transmission, I can see what's wrong with transmission. Then I can tell you how much it's going to cost. But until we do that, we just don't know. Right. And she decided to go to another place here locally. And what they did, it, this is one of those guys who... They are designed to get people in. And what I mean by that is whatever you call, if you ask them for a number, they're going to give you a number. And it's going to be crafted to be lower than most people around because they don't care what number it is. Uh It's not the number you're going to pay regardless. It's the number to get you in the door. They're going to have free towing, and they have free diagnosis. Okay. Now, free, 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 that's hard to resist. So it is. She had the car towed over. Uh, they took the transmission out and took it apart. Okay. And then they hit her with a number, which was just astronomical. astronomical. And at that point, she decides, well, I've made a mistake, and I'm really in bad shape here. So she calls back, and, and I said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry. If the transmission's in parts, there's nothing I can do to help you. Right. You're going to need to go back and try to make peace with these guys and see if they can fix it for you and hope that that was the problem to start with because you may very well put it all the way back together, totally rebuild the transmission, and still have the same problem. She said, oh, my God. Right. Said, well, we talked about all this two weeks ago, and, well, I just wasn't listening. I said, well, I'm sorry. It's, it's a lesson. She said, I've already called four of the shops. Nobody will touch it. Exactly. Said, that is correct. And the reason being what happens is that they take your transmission out. They take it apart. Now, when you go back and they hand you a box full of parts, you're not even sure if you're getting your own parts back. Because, or all of them. Or all of them. But they may have a whole bunch of torn-up parts under the bench that they may give you. For instance, a planetary assembly for this particular transmission is worth about $500 because that's okay. what it costs to replace it. Let's say yours was perfectly good. They take that planetary gear, stick it on the side for the next transmission, give you a torn-up one. Right. Well, that's what was wrong with your transmission. 
Now, wherever you go, it's going to cost more than they quote it because now you got to put a $500 planetary. Right. They gave you a free teardown, but they got a $500 <laughs> planetary out of deal, so they come out all right. They did. And you see, that kind of stuff can happen. You got to be very, very careful because it's too late after the fact. Sure. You're not going to be able to, you know, some mistakes you just can't recover from. Not everything is as simple as, well, okay, I changed my mind. I'm going somewhere else. Because there's not a decent shop out there who's going to want to go behind somebody like that. Number one, they probably don't have all the parts. If they have all the parts, they don't have the right parts or the same parts. There's no telling what they got, no telling what kind of other problems have been created here. So a transmission is so complicated to begin with. That's right. It has fluid passages that have to be a certain size. It has clutches. Yep. That have to be set up exactly well, like they're supposed right. to be. You know, it's valves it's, and springs. Right. And all that. Well, if they take all very that out, complicated. Throw it in a box, you have no idea where all these things went. If they take a spring out of another transmission, and throw put it in, in this the box, one. you right. don't know where it came from. So the killing part, I guess, for me is that no one ever diagnosed the problem to start with. We exactly. don't even know if this thing needed a transmission at all. It could have been an outside well, solenoid or something. Something giving like trouble. A, well, something like a throttle position sensor could be bad causing it not to shift. We have fixed several of them that had transmissions put in them. Well, that's right. And, and, and had an external had the problem. Same problem. You bring it in, and then you find the other problem, the real problem with uh-huh. it, a wiring harness, bad ground, because it's an electronically controlled transmission in, in virtually every case today. So let's say you've had some work done on the car. Maybe the valve cover gaskets were replaced. Someone left the ground wire off. Right. Well, it was still touching the engine block, so it worked okay then. Later on down the road, at some point, you hit a bump, it bounced away, or somebody reached checking the all, hit the ground wire, moved it away from the engine block. Well, now it's not touching. Well, now it quits shifting. Right. Well, you don't remember that you'd had that valve cover gasket changed six months ago or three months ago or whatever. All you know is transmission's not shifting. Well, you can go in and rebuild transmissions till you're blue in the face, but it's sure. still not going to shift. And where in that half mile of wires is this one ground <laughs> off? And once exactly. the transmission is out and apart, there's absolutely no way to diagnose that. You not till you, not diagnose, you get a working unit back in it. Yeah, you have to diagnose the problem before you get in. So if you go to one of these places that has free towing and free diagnosis and all that, they take transmission out and take it apart. The diagnosis is over. That's right. All diagnosis ends when the transmission comes out of the car Correct. and gets disassembled. And I guess the point is you don't ever want to let anyone disassemble the transmission before they know exactly what they're going after. It would be sort of like, well, we're going to go ahead and cut you open, look around, see what we're seeing, and, and see, if we need to, see if we need to do. No, no, no. We right. need to do that. We're going to do we're some tests. Test. Yeah, we're going to maybe do a CAT scan. We're going to do something, and we're going to, you're going to know what you're going after before you cut me open. Right. Same thing with my transmission. Now, it's not reasonable to expect that he's going to know exactly what's wrong with the transmission, but he should be able to say, okay, we have verified the pressures, the commands, and the controls. No problem on the outside. Everything on the outside is working. Mm-hmm. The problem is within the unit. I suspect it is going to be the forward clutch is burned up. At that point, we can drop the pan. Now, if it's a bunch of metal in the pan and a piece of snap ring in the pan, well, we verified, okay, we definitely have an internal transmission problem. Correct. Also, at that point, if you say, well, no, let's stop everything, he can put the pan back on, dump the fluid back in it, and you can drive off. No sure. harm, no foul. But once the transmission comes out of the car and he disassembles it. It's over. It's over. Everything's done at that point. So you don't ever want to get to that point. Right. And the quickest way to that point is calling around Asking for a rebuild transmission transmission. and how much it's going to be. Well, that's right, because the guy who is going to answer that question in the most reasonable, you may assume, manner is the guy who is going to take you the furthest down the road. Sure. And the guy who is trying to tell you the truth is going to sound the most implausible. Right, because he's not going to give you a price on the phone. Well, absolutely not, because he has no idea what's wrong. 
And people who are not willing to participate in that kind of guesswork and shenanigans, uh-huh. those are the folks who are trying to change the evils in the industry that exist today. Sure. So that is going to be the honest guy. And if your frame of mind is, oh, no, I price where you look at it, well, you're going to automatically route yourself to someone who is not like that, someone who doesn't care, someone who is going to tell you what you need to hear to get you in the door. Sure. All he's doing is rolling a pair of dice with prices on them and catching well, the one that comes up top. You yeah, know? Well, what he's going to do, he's going to call around, and he's going to ask store. 15 of those shops what their price is, and he's going to craft his price. He knows most people don't want the lowest price. Most people don't want the highest price. So he's going to craft his price somewhere in low middle. Right. And that number is going to probably get you in the shop. Once you're in the shop, when he combines that with free towing and free diagnosis, he's pretty much got a lock on the average person who doesn't know anything. That's it. So he's going to get in first. He says it's called spiking the job. And believe it or not, they don't make this stuff up. There are people out here teaching them how to do this. Oh, I know. I went to a seminar one time that I don't know how I ended up there, but in about the first 10 minutes, that's what the guy was starting to teach. I got right. walked out. I said, no, this is BS. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of this. But that's what he's telling them. You want to spike the job. You want to get it in, take it apart. That way the guy can't leave. Right. I said, that's insane. That's wrong. That is definitely wrong in our book. Yeah, not only being morally wrong, should be criminally wrong. It should be, yes. But it is certainly insane. I mean, what's going to happen when this guy learns the truth? Because people aren't stupid. They're going to figure this out pretty soon. Well, and that's why you got so many fly-by-night shops. Well, it is, and that's why you got so many complaints on the auto industry. If you call the Better Business Bureau, I think, Auto repair and home improvements uh-huh. are number one and number two, and they kind of change back and forth right. from time to time. And that's not just in Baton Rouge. That's anywhere you call in the country, probably in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the way things have always been done. And a lot of that is driven because people don't know enough about their cars to ask the proper questions. And the old saying, you can't dig yourself out of a hole with a shovel. You need a ladder to get out of it. <laughs> so you got to change your methods. If sure. you keep on digging, you're going to keep on getting deeper and deeper in the hole. And if you don't know what to ask, then you just got to learn. Because when you have a broken car, what you need to do is you start calling around and telling people what the car is doing and then ask them, where do we go from here? And the best thing to do is to shop for a shop. Don't shop for the repair you need. Shop around and find the proper guy. And the proper guy is the guy who's not going to quote your price on the phone. Right. And he's, he's going to start asking you questions. Okay, what is the car doing? When does it do it? How often does this occur? What do you do to get to it to make do it, it happen? What happens when it quits doing it? What do you do to make it quit doing it? And when they're asking these kinds of questions, now you're at the right place. Correct. Because that's the guy who wants to get the facts to guide you in the right direction. And that is the guy who's always going to be the least expensive in the end. Sure. You're not going to end up with something you don't need and something that did not fix the problem. Right. And like uh, the old saying goes, the cheapest way out is supposed to piss the way in. <laughs> okay, I got <laughs> him back. Exactly right. All right. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you 30000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about 2500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about 1200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Booyah! 
Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we wish you to give us a call. It's 291-6901. And that is exactly what Herb did. Good morning, Herb. I think we, we lost Herb. Lost Herb. Herb, give me a call right back, and we'll put you right straight back up to the top of the line. Yeah, we got an email here. thought it was a pretty good one. Kevin from Louisiana wanted to know about oil filters. Okay. He wanted to know about the quality between the brands and things of, of oil filters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what you should really, if you always use a factory filter, mm-hmm. you're always going to be good. Yeah, it's there, always going to be good. It's, it may or may not be the absolute ultimate filter out there, but it'll always be a good quality filter that meets the standards and specifications. And readily available. And readily available. That's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And while we're on the subject of oil filters, I see a lot of times we change oil in, in several vehicles. Uh-huh several times a day and the oil changes i uh-huh. see them come in from several different places they right. got several different stickers on them they're all most of them are over the mileage that's recommended and there's a correct way and there is a wrong way to change oil in your vehicle the biggest thing is using the correct fluid mm-hmm. the right oil the proper, right oil with the right viscosity proper weight a quality oil filter mm-hmm. And it's not just go and take the pan plug out and let the oil drain out and then put the plug back in. There's actually a torque spec and a gasket on that plug. Right. If you ever look at any of them, a lot of them are already crushed down. They're not any good. They leak a little bit. If it's available, you should always change the gasket on the plug when you put it back together. Right. And some of them are going to have an O-ring, which is reusable, and those do go bad as well. You have to change the entire plug. Like Chevrolet's or General Motors products generally have an O-ring. Ford, same way, has an O-ring made onto the plug. You have to end up replacing the plug. Right. You have to look at that when you take it off. Don't just drop it in the pan and then pick it up out the oil and put it back in the block. Well, and what happens is that they get crushed down, they start to leak, and most people's answer is tighten the plug tighter. Right. And that's not the answer because what you do is you pull the threads out of that aluminum pan, and now you got a big, big problem on your hands. Sure. Then then you're in an an oil pan. Right. Toyota has a fiber and aluminum gasket or washer, which is reusable, but only so many times. Honda has an aluminum wash that's not reusable. It right. It changes each and every time. It crushes down. When you reach the proper torque, it's crushed down to the amount of stretch it needs to be. Right. And it seals. You want to always watch out for that. Right. Hey, we got Herb back on the line. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, so sir. I got a question from my, it's my son's car in Georgia. I tried to refresh my memory this morning, but he won't answer the phone. It's a Ford Explorer, mm-hmm. all-wheel drive. Yes, sir. And it doesn't do it till it gets warmed up. And when you turn change direction to turning, you get a clunk. They first. The Ford place first thought it was a rear end, and they changed the fluid, and this, that, and the other, and it's kind of a clicking, clunking. He feels like a slips a little bit or something other to it. Does you know? it sound like it's in the back, Herb? No, that's what he's beginning to think. It's maybe the transmission fluid is breaking down or something other. Well, it could be that. He's going to need to determine if it's in the front or in the back, and if it does it just like, you know, say you're going down the interstate at speed, and mm-hmm. you get into like a long, gradual turn and kind of make that turn kind of fast, if it mm-hmm. does it then, then it is probably something like transmission fluid is low and fluid sloshing in the paint. However, if it only does it, say, at parking lot type speeds with the wheel cut full over, like in a big U-turn type situation, and it sounds like a popping or clunking in the rear, what happens on a lot of those, and we got a lot of background noise, so I'm going to put you on hold. Let me move, see if I can get it clear. Okay, yeah, that's much better. If it's in the back, sort of a popping, grinding sort of a noise, one real classic symptom on Fords is those use a 
clutch by rear differential, if it has a locking or limited slip differential, there's an additive for that fluid. And if they drain the oil out and they did not put the additive back in, it's going to get even worse. Now, when the fluid is getting old, it'll get bad. But if you drain it and you don't put the additive in, it'll get even worse. Mm-hmm. So if it's that, there is a friction modifier that Ford makes that you can add to the oil that will take that out. And we actually like additive that Chrysler makes better than I do the one Ford makes. I put the Chrysler additive in everything. It's one thing anyway, but we use the Chrysler in the Chryslers, we use it in the Fords, and we use it in the Toyotas, and that tends to quiet down even more than the Ford out. So see if you can get him to make a slow turn in a parking lot and see if... He was telling me about it the other day going down the highway, and so it was that's when it was taking place. Yeah, if know. it's doing it going down the highway, it's probably not the rear end. More likely, I would think it may be low on transmission fluid. When he gets in that curve, the fluid sloshes to one side, and the transmission may be neutral and out slightly. So okay. get him to check the fluid in that transmission. If it's an Explorer, that's going to be one with can't didn't have a dipstick on it. There's a procedure. If you go to my website and look up check transmission fluid, it'll show him the procedure for checking that. Okay. Well, the Ford man didn't seem to know what he was talking about neither, so that's the reason I'm calling you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, we're beginning to think it's in the front end, the transmission. There, so yeah, we, it could very yeah. well be. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Ricky online. Good morning, Ricky. Good morning. How are you? Doing Good great, morning. sir. Uh, I got a 1992 Ford Ranger with a 3.0 liter automatic transmission. Okay. And my PCV valve is knocking like crazy. Really? I mean, it's, it's like super, got some super vacuum going on in there or something. And I just don't have a clue as to what the problem could be. Yeah, it can't have any more vacuum than what the engine produces, which is going to be around 20 inches. I mean, there's no way to get any more vacuum because the engine produces it. It could be the valve itself is bad. Did you take it out and kind of shake it and see if it rattles? Yeah, I replaced it with a new one. And it's still and doing it? Yeah, it's still doing it. Could that be a, a valve issue or, it or could anything, be, like yes, maybe sir. an exhaust? Or, well, intake uh, valve or something, yes, sir. Intake valve. What I would do is probably, see, most likely that valve is just responding to another situation. If you can get your hands on a vacuum gauge, okay, that's a very inexpensive little tool. Buy it at a parts store for about probably 5 to $10. And you plug a vacuum gauge into one of your intake ports, vacuum line, and okay. that gauge should be at idle. It should be up around 20 to 22 inches, and it should be steady. If that gauge is jumping around like your PCV valve is, then, yes, you got something like an intake valve sticking open or a burn valve or a bent valve or something like that. And what happens is that when the cylinder fires, the pressure rises in the intake because it's blowing back an in intake, so the vacuum drops, and it's pulsing that vacuum up and down, which would make exactly. the PCV valve that's do that. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah that's what it See if you can get your hands on a vacuum gauge and just hook it to any vacuum port on there and see if it's bouncing around the same way. If it is, then you're going to have to figure out what's causing it. could be a stuck valve, a sticking valve. could be a broken valve spring. It could be all sorts of things. But if the intake vacuum is pulsing around a whole lot, there's definitely an issue. One other thing you might just try, Ricky, you know the great big hose that goes to your power brake booster? Yes, sir. Try plugging that off, and there's just unplug it from the booster and stick like a bolt or something into the line just to eliminate that as a possibility. Because okay. if you got a bad leak in the booster, it could make that vacuum act crazy, too. When you take that line off, try to take it off of the little valve that plugs into the booster. Leave that okay. plugged in. Yeah, leave, just take the line off of that little valve. Because a lot of okay. times when you take that valve out, you'll disturb the seal right there, and then you'll have a vacuum leak that hardly anybody can find. Right. It's, it's a grommet. Oh, okay. It's probably pretty old, and if you right. pull it apart, you start pulling on it, yeah, you'll you break, break it. grommet. So you want to hold the little plastic check valve in place and kind of twist the line back and forth. 
And if you can't get it off, check the line and see if it's still kind of pliable. It's not hard. You could even take something like a pair of vice grips, wrap a towel or something around that hose, just use a pair of vice grips to kind of squeeze it gently to block right. the line and do the same test without having to take it off because you don't want to end up breaking something. You know, a vehicle out old, you could break stuff right. trying to force it apart. Right, right. Okay, well, right. I sure appreciate it, man. Right, I'm going to get on that this evening. All right, Ricky, thanks, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm, bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would absolutely love to have you. We would, and like we was talking about earlier with the oil change, that's not the end of it. Like you said, you use the right viscosity oil, good quality oil filter. Mm-hmm. When you drain it, you can either drain it two ways: take it out, drive it, get it hot, and drain it that way, mm-hmm. or you can actually drain it cold. Yep. But if you drain it cold, be prepared to wait because that oil is thick and it's going to take a little while longer for it to get all out of the engine block. Well, it's going to take a lot longer because all the sludge and stuff is going to be settled down the bottom of the pan. That's going to kind of start running out very, very slowly. What you want to do, if I did my own oil changes, and I highly, highly recommend changing your own oil if in any way possible you can do it. Uh You just don't mind it. If you hate doing it, absolutely go get somebody to do it for you. But that's one thing where the average do-it-yourselfer with a little information and a little bit of tooling can do a better job than most shops are going to do. Definitely. But what I would do on my car is I would take that drain plug out, and then I would put my drain pan under there, and I would just go off and do something else. Just right. let it drain. Go eat lunch. Go, That's go right. find something else to do. Go watch the football game. Let it drain. I mean, if you let it drain for two or three hours even. Because what is happening when that is draining is the absolute worst sludge and debris is very, very slowly working its way out. Correct. And it may take up to a couple of hours for all that to drip out. So let it drain for a good long time. Now, if you're going to a person who changed your oil in five minutes, clearly that's not ever going to happen. Right. I mean... Sometimes they don't even take the plug out. They stick a They're, wand down the dipstick, and suck out what out. they can get out. It leaves most of that really bad stuff in the bottom of the pan. Right. So that's one huge advantage you have doing it yourself. You've got time. You can do it. Let every little bit of that drain out. Then when you put your plug back in, wipe everything clean. Don't screw the plug in against a dirty, sludged right. up hole because that little seal surface, if it's got some grit on it, it's going to cut the seal on your plug. Put the plug in, torque it to specifications, and those specifications are on our site. And they vary greatly from model to model, maker to maker, year to year. Absolutely. It could be anywhere from 5 foot-pounds to 35 foot-pounds. Depending so on application. Variation. And if you put 35 on one, it calls for 5. You go strip the hole. And if you put 5 on one, it calls for 35. The plug's probably going to fall out. Exactly. So there's a huge variation. Go to our site. You have to register to get to that information. Okay. And it will bring up a chart of all the different cars, and it will tell you what that is. And what you want to do is help yourself out next time around. Take something like a crayon or marker and go ahead and write that torque spec on the bottom of the oil pan. We do that on every one we change. That right. way, when we come back to it to do it again for the next service, we don't have to look that information up anymore. That's right. It's written right there on the oil pan. We know what size socket it took to get the plug out, so you know what size socket to put on your torque wrench to torque it back down. That's right. All that information is right there at hand, and that's something you can do as well. Right. And what's even better is if you will write the viscosity and the amount of oil that goes right. in the vehicle up on top, yeah, around the filler plug. under the hood somewhere. Yeah. Or write it with a magic marker, we'll anything. Further to that each time instead of having to go look it all up. Exactly. Hey, we've got to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour.
And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvin from Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Carey, right here. Hey, for your tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? And we got Mr. Bruce online. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, Good morning, sir. A while back, so you were talking to somebody with a 07 GM pickup, and you said the oil filter is a PF 47. 48, I believe. 48. Okay, well, I've got a 7, it's got a 48 in it. Yeah, 47 would be for a 6 on the motor. Okay. No, 46 oh. fits in the Right, 46. Yeah, you 48 fits the new body style. Right. 46 was the original one. That fit up to 06. 48 fits the later models. And then I think the new, new ones may even have a different one from that. Yeah. But the 47 fits your 6 cylinders like your 3.8 and all that. Oh, okay, because mine's a 48. That is anyway, correct. That is correct. i got a comment to make about filters. Yes, sir. I don't know about any other one. Mm-hmm. But the GM filter, AC Delco, mm-hmm. if the name AC Delco is painted on that filter, mm-hmm. that is not a General Motors filter. Well, there are a lot of counterfeit filters out there. I've got well, one under the counter at my office, and those are definitely in the Baton Rouge area. I showed one of those to a AC Delco rep, and he said, that's a counterfeit filter. That's not made by AC Delco right, at all. That- the AC Delco filter has a paper stick on it. Yes, that's mm-hmm. correct. That is and correct. That's the only thing it's got. Well, and if you look at the two side by side, if you didn't know what you were looking at, they look very similar. It does say Delco on it, but those are counterfeits. And there is a bunch of those floating around the Baton Rouge area. I'm not sure who's mm-hmm. selling them. But I don't know if they came from the Internet or where, but I do have one under the counter in my office that I show people from time to time. And the uh, Delco rep looked at it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is counterfeit. That is not a Delco yeah, part. Yeah, I don't know what that filter sells for, but the AC filter is very reasonable. They're not bad. No, not bad. not bad at all. Between I don't know four, why they'd, between they'd four and six dollars. No, why they'd want to go with a even cheaper one? Well, because <laughs> they can buy that one for a quarter and sell it to you for four dollars. They don't tell you it's counterfeit. Oh yet. well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Profit margin. There, there you go. go. You got <laughs> it. Thank, thank you, sir. All right, Bruce. Thanks for calling, man. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we got Clay online. Good morning, Clay. Yeah. Good morning. Hey, Lou. This is Clay Whitman out yes, in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, man. Um, hey, Clay. Not much. Uh, that old man called in earlier and was asking you a question about my Explorer. Okay. Right. He couldn't remember exactly. But anyway, okay. 13 Explorer. I've got 85,000 miles on it. Okay. And probably about the last 8,000 miles, 10,000 miles, I started getting like what feels like a chatter. And I thought it was coming from the rear. It well, now, could be. let me ask you this. Do you feel it about maybe 45 to 47 miles an hour, kind of a quick little, almost like running over a cattle guard in the road? 
No, no, um, and that's what he misunderstood is it only does it. It started out only doing it from a dead stop turning right or left. Okay. And it slowly progressed when going straight, it'll do it, but not as bad. But it only does it after it's been good and heated up, the, the drive line. Mm-hmm. And got about an hour drive into work every morning. Right. By the time I get there, and if basically turning any unlevel surface, this is a four-wheel drive explorer. Yep. And I had Ford service the rear end, you know, that I'm, you know, because I wanted to make sure they put it, that put yeah. the, the additive in there. Correct. But it is actually over the last four weeks, it's just slowly gotten worse yeah. and worse. You and know, it, Clay, that's I, probably not going to be the transmission, but it could very well be in the transfer case. Is that an all-wheel drive and a full-time four-wheel drive? Yeah, it's four-wheel drive most of the time, and when you put in four-wheel drive, the rear locks in. Okay, yeah, that's probably got some kind of a viscous clutch inside that transfer case, and that almost sounds like that area to me. I would have them. Are you still under warranty on it? Don't think it is, but it's, it's a company truck. So yeah, yeah. Out by mileage. Have them check that 85. transfer yeah. case fluid. Make sure that it's good and that it's not low or anything like that. Because that almost sounds like a viscous clutch in a transfer case. The turning is what kind of gives that away. See, whenever you're turning the vehicle, the wheel's turning at different speeds. And yeah. that clutch in that transfer case has to slip to allow that to happen. So that's what kind of gives it away. And when it gets bad enough, it'll even do it going straight down the road. So I would really, I don't think there's anything in the transmission that would be affected by you turning. But the transfer right. case definitely right. would be, and they're right together. So the feeling would be right there in the same place. And then 85,000 miles is probably time to service it. It's definitely time to service it anyway. Yeah. So get them to check that. And it may be some kind of special fluid I'm that sure goes there. I'm sure there is. Yeah, it usually be, is. Be sure they put the right fluid in it. But I, yeah. I would almost bet you you're going to find a problem in that area. Okay. It's a simple change. It's just a drain and fill. Yeah, pull the drain no, plug no and deal. put it back in and fill it back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thought I've had Fords before that you know, and you get some miles on them that you know the clutch back in the rear chassis. Correct. You know, exactly right. right. That's exactly what I, right. That's what I thought it was. Well, and, and uh, see too, Clay. One other possibility: there's probably a clutch pack in the front differential as well, and it could possibly yeah. be the front differential doing it. You know, yeah. it'll do the same thing. So you might have them just check that as well. But I'm. Sounds to me more like that transfer case. Okay. All righty. Okay, bud. All right. We appreciate it. Appreciate y'all. All right. Thank, thank you for you. calling. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, you can probably call real quick. We could slip one on in there. Real quick. <laughs> right. We were talking about the oil filters and uh-huh. stuff, and we never did get around, I think, to the complete point. But if you go to my website, type in the word oil filter on the search bar. Right. It'll bring up an article which shows the differences in oil filters. There's one very popular brand, we can't mention name on the air, but uh-huh. it's a very popular brand sold in department stores here, and it is really, really substandard in my opinion. Right. I wouldn't put it on anything. Right. We've actually taken those filters and, and cut them apart, mm-hmm. cut the cans off of them, right. and you can check the, the filtering properties Media. inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can check, see if the it's got a silicone drain back valve in them, right. and just the way that they're made is real kind of cheap things. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Yeah, got some cardboard end caps and stuff like that. No, no valves in it, those sorts of things. So you might want to read that article before you select an all filter. And while the OEM filter may not be the absolute ultimate filter out there, it will always be a good quality filter so you know you're getting what you have to have. Right. It was actually designed with that engine to fit that engine. That's right. So, so if you got a Toyota, go with a Toyota filter. Correct. Honda, go with the Honda filter, and so on. We got Darby online. Good morning, Darby. Hey, I have a real quick question. I got in my car yesterday, and some of those warning lights came up, like a check engine light, and I went to my local, and they 
took the codes on the, did the little diagnostic on the car. Mm -hmm. And then when I got back in, the lights were gone. Does the, when a guy texts the, does the diagnostics on the car, does that, like, turn those lights off? Well, no, he can turn them off. Yes, ma'am, he can erase the code, which is really, really bad, because now it's going to come back, but if he's erased the information, then it makes it much harder for a real shop to diagnose it. So if the light came on, the problem is still going to be there. Now, it's also possible that in some codes, the light will just go off. And we're getting a lot of background noise, so I'm going to have to put you on hold while I go ahead and ask the rest of the question. If some things, the light will go off, but it will come back on again. The code will still be in memory. So if you go to a shop, they can actually pull that information up. They can still diagnose the problem. So the fact that the light's off doesn't mean the problem's gone. If it wasn't cleared... By the guy that checked the code. Right. If it was clear, then you just got to wait until the light, light comes back on again and then bring it to somebody and have them really diagnose the problem right. and tell you what's wrong. But when the light comes on, there is a problem, so it's not something you can just ignore. Right. A lot of people think that just because the light went out, then everything's fine, but it's not. Right. All righty. Thank you. Yes, Thank ma'am. Bye-bye. All right, we gotta get on out of here. We're just about out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcast listeners for listening every week and go to your favorite podcast service, iTunes, right. iHeart, Stitcher. There's a lot of great ones out there. That's right. Go to the written session and give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate a written review. That'll move us up in the ratings. More folks can hear us. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.